0: Welcome to episode 11 of the Hunt HuntLore podcast. My name is David Hepner. My guest today is Jake Jefferson. He's the owner operator of Black River Hunting Camps in Alaska. Jake grew up in Alaska after his family relocated from Michigan when he was just a baby. He talks about how he got into guiding and then later into outfitting. He shares how he was scared of bears. But now it's his number one animal to pursue. Jake has a wholesome approach and perspective when it comes to hunting and guiding. You won't want to miss this one. So sit back, listen, and enjoy. My name is David Hepner, and this is the Hunt Lore Podcast, where we will spark our imaginations and pay tribute to the time-honored tradition of hunting by sharing our stories of the hunt. Hunt Lore is brought to you by Black Bear Wear, bear hunting apparel for bear hunters and everyone else. Get it. Wear it share it hey it's jake hey jake david uh from hunt lore calling hey how's it going man good good uh good to get a hold of you here and hopefully we can chat uh some hunting eh
1: Yeah. Do I have to say A2 every now and then, or we just, you got to leave that out?
0: (laughs) No, that's the Canadian in me, man. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think you guys say I got relatives down in California and they say huh all the time. So I got
1: kids that say huh all the time right after I say something, too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess I saw you on Facebook there and just saw that, man, you're living quite a wonderful. Uh, adventurous life out there in Alaska.
1: Oh, it's a, it's a culmination of a long time of little things. You know, you start off with that little, a little baby step, you know, you end up in the woods with a gun and then you're like, Oh man, I wish I could get over there. I wish I had the means to do this. I wish I had the means to do that. And then it just slowly grows into a lifestyle. You know, and that's kind of how I have ended up where I am right now.
0: Yeah. So where did you end up? uh, Where did you grow up? Did you always grow up in Alaska? I
1: was born in Michigan and my family moved up in 1980 when I was 16 months old. Um, And I've been up here ever since. And that was kind of the, I don't know what era they refer to that as, but it was kind of, there was no four wheelers. Um, Not everybody had a boat. There, it was just, you know, a few people had three-wheelers, and a few people walked places, and everybody helped each other out when they were in the woods. If you ran into somebody, um, it was just a different time, and Alaska was really kind of blossoming right then. Uh, the Alcan was done, and people were driving that all the time. It still took a week to drive it, because most of it was dirt, but, um, you know, that was kind of a a different age for the state than it is now, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, so did your dad, uh, your parents, why did they decide to move to Alaska? That's like a pretty big move.
1: Yeah, you know, I couldn't really tell you what made my dad choose to do it. He flew up here for a job interview in the city of Kenai, Um, and he got the job, and he called my mom, and he said, get the boys, get on an airplane, you're moving to Alaska. Um, My mom grabbed me and my brother, we got on a jet, and we flew to Alaska. We had whatever we could fit in one bag. And that was how it started. My dad flew down and loaded up our old international scout and drove the rest of the stuff up a week later. And there we were. I mean, it was like an overnight kind of a thing. So, yeah, he, he worked for the city of Kenai, worked at some canneries, ran heavy equipment. And then they got into missions work here in Alaska. And, um, we're missionaries here in Alaska for 20-something years.
0: hmm I was uh, wondering when you said that you had five children, usually uh, people who are religious, you know, like to have kids like myself and uh, my wife. So (laughs) we have something in common there.
1: Yeah, they're either religious or they're careless. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think that,
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. uh, yeah, I think a a little bit of both there. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah.
1: So yeah, two of mine two of mine are adopted. Um, I have two Inupiaq Eskimo children that are my middle two. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're quite a, quite a span. I got two boys that are over six foot tall and I'm nowhere near that. They get that from their mom. And then my bottom half are girls. And then my middle two are adopted kids.
0: Mm -hmm. We've got, we've got quite a hodgepodge of people in my house. Oh, that makes for some fun moments, you know, that's, yeah, a few. yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh yeah yeah absolutely whenever you have a lot of people living under one roof right there's a yeah 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 so that's a pretty cool story just off the cuff moving up to Alaska obviously you're a young guy you didn't really remember that all you know is Alaska but what did your dad hunt at all or did you Was that something that you kind of found on your own or through other people
1: Well, you know, like most kids in this kind of an environment, we didn't have a lot of real close neighbors, you know, so most of your life back in the day, we used to play outside, which is something you have to explain to kids now. Um, And so hunting and fishing and trapping was just, by nature, it was pretty much all there was to do. Um, So I got into fishing and I got into hunting and I started tying flies because I wanted to catch something on something I'd homemade. you know, it just like, like the other stuff, it just slowly grows, um, with knowledge, you know, you you start trying new things and my dad worked all the time, you know, so I saw him in the evenings and on the weekends, like, like most people did. And he wasn't a big hunter. He took me fishing and stuff, but he wouldn't really take me hunting because I couldn't sit still. Um, and being from Michigan, he was a whitetail guy. So sitting still was kind of a big thing for him. And, uh, and I couldn't do that. I was Mr. Hyper. So I didn't really get to hunt much until I was probably into my teens.
0: Yeah. So what was your first hunt like then? Who did you go with for what species and kind of the details of that? That'd be interesting to hear.
1: So back when I was, I guess I was about 10, my older brother's two years older than me. He'd shot a caribou one year. We lived in an area where there was a, a caribou herd and to get a tag as a youth hunter, we went to the fish and game office and they gave us a test. And the one year I went, it was a test. It was just a calendar with some animals. They pointed at animals, wanted to know where you would shoot it in different angles, just to make sure you knew what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first year, I, I failed. Um, they had a picture of a herd of antelope. I'll never forget it as long as I live. That was a catastrophic day for me. And they had a picture of antelope on this calendar. And the guy asked, where would I shoot one? I told him, he said, why wouldn't you shoot it? And I was like, uh, because it might fall over and hit another one. That was the wrong answer. The answer was the bullet might go through and hit another animal. I had no idea that bullets do that. Um, and so they failed me. Wow. That's pretty harsh. Yeah. Well, you're going into hunting a, a herd animal. So that's kind of a big one to fail. Yeah. Um. You know, because most of the times the caribou would end. I mean, you know, we'd find herds of, of several hundred at times. So, yeah. The following year, I studied my living daylights out. I was gonna get a tag because that year before, I got to watch my brother shoot one, and nobody wants to watch their brother shoot one because that, you know, it just feels the fire when your mm-hmm. brother's successful and you're not at that age. Um. And the next year, they had a whole different written test, and and you know, I blew it away and shot my first caribou when I was, um. Uh, I think I was 11, 10 or 11 when I got that carried with me and my dad and my brother and a couple other people we knew went out. So that was the first big game animal for me. Um, And, uh, of course, memorable. I mean, the sights, the sounds, the smells, I can still remember all of it when I'm out hunting now. You know, every little odor or something brings up a nostalgia for you, which makes it fun
0: hmm was that like a like an overnight trip or or a caribou plentiful in your area where you could just go out for the day? I think we spent the night on that trip
1: out um I think it was the opener, august tenth um but it was th- there was lots of them. It was just a matter of where are they gonna cooperate for a kid that can't sit still to get a shot at one yeah um was kind of how my dad had to do it um so yeah, I mean, we I don't think we ever spent more than two nights out when I was a kid for that kind of stuff. It was, it was just weekend stuff when Dad could get off work.
0: Yeah, did your dad mention uh, any whitetail hunting when you were a kid? Like, did he miss it at all, or was he just like, man, we're living the dream here in Alaska?
1: No, he wasn't big on hunting when he was in Michigan. He went out with my grandpa a few times for whitetail. Um, I'm not even actually sure if he ever even shot a whitetail, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, they weren't they weren't as hardcore about Whitetail back then as they are now. Um, you know, grandpa would go out and sit on a fence post in the cornfield and if one came by he shot it. If not, ah well we'll try again tomorrow. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't tree stands and patterns and, you know, working food plots and it wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was just, you know, you went out with some guys, you hunted some deer, you had some fun. If you didn't get one, no big deal. It wasn't it was, it was about something different than what some of the hunting is about today.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you shoot that caribou and you guys break it down. Are you like using every part of the animal? uh, I'm assuming like, obviously you took all the meat, but you know, like if you're in remote Alaska, there might be more emphasis on using like every single part, like stomach lining and whatnot. Was there any of that going on at that
1: time? No, we weren't really subsistence hunters. Um, we didn't really have to be, uh, where we lived. I mean, we didn't live remote enough, like it wasn't indigenous people's kind of a lifestyle. Um, It it was, you know, we lived on a road system. We had three wheelers and, you know, we'd drive to the, the grocery store was an hour and a half away. Um, but we had all the, the means and utilities that you and I would have now minus wi-fi i guess
0: yeah 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 so something about hunting obviously grabbed you there because now you're operating a hunting outfit called black river hunting camps so what do you remember kind of like what what kind of why did you gravitate towards hunting what kind of drew you in and captured your imagination i guess
1: well largely what it was for me you know i went through high school we did live out in a native village in the middle well, my mom and dad were missionaries, so I graduated high school off the road system out in the Cuscoquim River. Um, so I got to do some pretty cool things out there, like working with fishing game. Uh, we got to tag and collar, trap black bears. Um, you know, do the tattoos, the blood samples, weigh them, let them go, the telemetry with the radio collars. I got to do that for high school. Like that was part of one of my classes. We'd go out and check bear traps. Um, things like that, that I got to do that were like, kind of get you more into that lifestyle of being outside and investing in what their management wise, not only in the killing aspect, but in the off season aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of got me hooked in it. And I was not, not wanting to do that for a lifestyle. I, that was more, this is where I go for fun. Um, I went to college in Michigan actually this will sound so cliche to be a rock star that was what i wanted to do i wanted to play heavy metal guitar and i just wanted to be on stage I, I that's all i wanted to do was just just play i played for hours and hours and hours in the village and that was my thing So that was what i wanted to do with my life career-wise and i was at a trade show in grand rapids michigan where i went to college by grandma's house of course so i could have food on christmas and he had, there was a, an outfitter there with pitchers from Alaska and I was going through his pictures, kind of homesick, like, well, you know, the reds and the tundra and the moose and the caribou and all that. Mm-hmm. And somebody came up, somebody came up and said, I'd like to be a guide in Alaska. What do I have to do? And the outfitter told him, he says, I'll pay you 150 bucks a day to take people out hunting. And I was, you know, when you're 18, somebody paying you 150 bucks a day, you have struck it rich. Mm -hmm. And I was was like, Whoa, what is this? Yeah. And so I, I asked the outfitter, I said, Hey man, what do I got to do to get this 150 bucks a day? And he told me how to get a guide license. And I was like, man, I live in the same town as you let's roll. Mm -hmm. So I got my guide license and this was just, I wasn't looking at it full term. I was just looking at this the way to just make money now until I grow up and figure out what I want to be in life. Um, And, uh, it turns out, nobody told me that I'm terrified of bears. I didn't know that (laughs) until, until I flew out to my first camp to help set it up for this guy. And I couldn't sleep at night. I was hiding in trees during the day. I was underneath cots at night. I had stuff stacked on top of me saying, I thought I was going to (laughs) die. I had no idea that I was so scared of bears. And the first airplane that landed, I jumped in it. I'm like, get me the frick out of here. Cause I'm going to get killed. I don't know how anybody survived out here. I'm a dead man. And, and I hadn't even actually seen a bear. Yeah, so It was just the mental aspect of that was so overwhelming for me that I just couldn't handle it. And I quit and left. I'm like, I'm out. I'm never doing this again. I'm gonna work at a desk in a cubicle, the same job nine to five for the rest of my life. And, and about a, about a week later, I was I just felt so awful. I was so embarrassed that I tucked tail and ran, you know, my, my ego was damaged, my pride was on the floor, and I was like, This is no way to be, you know, there's no stick itiveness. You're supposed to grow up to be a man and you do what needs to be done and and I just chickened out. Holy smokes, like bigger than Dallas. It was it was awful. <laughs> yeah. And uh so I started praying about it and I was like, you know, Lord, I, I want another chance. I I want redemption for for my weakness and uh so I talked to a few outfitters and another guy hired me and I even ended up with a better deal and I said no matter what I'm not going to quit no matter how bad no matter how awful I'm not going to quit and the next three years of my life were probably the worst three years of my life um working at the lodge that I worked at but I was the most successful guide we had and it was I found comfort in being in the field, it was easy. Coming back to the lodge environment was really hard. I really didn't like that. But when I was out with a client, it was just—it was just like things just came natural. It mm-hmm. was easy. It flowed. I felt like I fit. I felt like I belonged. We were successful. My decision making was working, <laughs> unlike before. Yeah. Uh, and so then from there, it just—it just progressed, and it really just felt like. You know, this is what God built me to do. This is this is my purpose. This is where I need to be. So, it wasn't my choice. People say, you know, dream. Oh, you have a dream job. Yeah. Was like, it wasn't my dream. It wasn't my dream job. You know, this was a nightmare when I started bears. Like literally, I had nightmares <laughs> yeah. of bears. Yeah. And, uh, and and now bears are like bears are what I do. I mean, they're my passion. It's it's there's been I've been on hundreds, couple hundred bear kills with clients in the
0: last 24 years or whatever it's been and I, I just I can't get enough bear hunting it's my favorite wow so do you remember did anybody tell you any horror stories of bears is that why you were scared of them or like can you kind of well
1: you live in Alaska you always hear horror stories. yeah 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 exactly um, you I know, guess so right you, you always you hear your dad talking to the other guys, hey, do you hear about so and so got his face ripped off? Oh, like what? Boy. You know? Yeah. Not not stuff that a six year old needs to be hearing, but <laughs> no. Um there well there's a series of books called Alaska Bear Tales. Uh Larry Kanuit, I think is how you say his last name wrote these books and they're all about bear attacks in Alaska. Um, and of course I read them cause they're entertaining from the comfort of my home with the bright light shining yep. and I have to go outside in the dark <laughs> and take a leak. Um, so I, mean, I I, knew all the stories. I mean, I knew people that had been mauled by a bear. Um, oh. so yeah, the, the, there, there's always that it's, it's in the back of your mind as soon as it gets dark and it gets quiet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, you said it was like the hardest or worst three years that you endured? Like, why would that, uh, what was uh, the lodge life? I guess what, what was not appealing about it?
1: Uh, drugs, alcohol, oh, yeah. uh, hate hatred and being 19 years old and successful. Um, when you're the youngest person there and you're working on growing your first mustache and <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't even know how to skin the toes on a bear, and you have to ask the senior guides how to do it, but they're not killing animals. They treat you different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, there, there's there's guiding is it's, it's hard to <clears throat> it's hard to say what it really is. Guiding is a massive ego stroke. Um, you'll see outfitters on, on Facebook or whatever, and somebody will say something, and they they immediately get defensive because we spend our whole career making somebody happy and hearing them tell us how awesome we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you're successful, the stuff, I mean, people are like, oh my goodness, I couldn't have done this without Jake. Jake is amazing. Jake is the best. I've never seen anybody like Jake. I mean, it, it'll go to your head if you're not careful. And so when you work in an environment where there's four or five of you in the same, I mean, the amount of testosterone battling for success, uh, you people a lot of times don't get along too well. Um, if one guy's on his game and nobody else is, yeah, pretty soon you start to look at him a little, a little different subconsciously even. But as a, what I would say a kid, 19 years old, um, the, the guys are working for with, were as old as my dad, they're in their forties, been doing it 15, 17 years and stuff. And so, you know, it was one of those, Jake was successful and then, well, we got chores that need to be done. Jake will do it well, we need to do this. Jake will do it. You know, Hey, we need to clean out the slop. Jake will do it. Um, you know, so just the way you get treated in that environment, trying to prove yourself, um, made it miserable. And I I don't drink and I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. Um, you know, it it took a couple of years of the people doing what they did before they respected what I didn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, once I got to that point,
0: then it totally changed. Yeah. So did you keep with that outfit then after the three years or did you move on? I, I
1: stayed for six years there. I had gotten married. Um, the paychecks weren't adding up like they were supposed to. Um, and I told the boss, I said, I'm married now. I have other responsibilities. If the paychecks aren't right, I'm going to have to go out and do something different. And Mm -hmm. he said, good luck. Oh, wow. So, so I started my own guide outfit. We had a brand new baby. We were living on food stamps in my aunt's basement and uh, we started our guide business. And when we bought our business
0: license, we had $50 in the bank when we were done. (laughs) Wow. And then there's all the operating costs, you know, like with the the hunts, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was doing bear hunts. I was doing, I was selling grizzly bear hunts for about
1: $3,000 just to get somebody to show up so I could start building clientele and a reputation. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we started with $50 in the bank and I think when the season was over, I probably had at least, at least $60 in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough going those first couple of years here in Manitoba. We have to have, get it by an allocation. Usually it's from an yep. existing outfitters at the same uh, situation in Alaska. No,
1: the way we have it here, like I have the ability to run a guide business. I am the only employee of my business. I do all my own guiding. Um If somebody wants to book a hunt with me, when they text, I'm the guy that answers. When they call, I'm the guy that answers. When they do a hunt, I'm the guy that's there. Um So I run everything. Uh Now I even do the flying. Um mm-hmm. So literally everything. So if I had to buy like a, an area, which I think is a lot of the concessions is the word we use
0: up here. I don't know what you guys call them, territories, concessions, people have different verbiages. Yeah, allocations, um, but yeah, concessions, yeah, same thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't have to do that. I just have to have land use permission for whatever areas that I'm working in. So if I'm working on state land, I have to have a state land use permit, which will allow me to operate in the area that I've s- specificated, I think that's the word.
0: Yeah, we'll um, use it.
1: Yeah, why not? George Bushword. Yeah. Um <laughs> on my <laughs> on my permit application. If I'm working on native land, I have to have a native land use permit. BLM land, I'd have to have a federal land use permit. And then that gives me access to the land. So I don't have to have exclusive use. Um I don't need huge areas. I don't have to have a massive gross number to be able to afford what it is I'm doing. Um, my operating expenses are lower because I take up less space and do it myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's cool that, you know, people, if they want to hunt with you, that they're talking to you and you're dealing with everything from, from the ground up, I guess. eh? Hey, that's pretty neat. I noticed on your website yeah. just to kind of, and I want to get into you, uh, your outfit and all that stuff too, because it's super interesting. But I did uh, check out the website and I did notice like on there, you said, like no uh, tobacco or booze in camp, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know. Like there's a story there, and you basically answered it right there. And I guess yeah. it's just to kind of keep every my mi- everybody's mind just kind of clear and focused on what needs to be done because you're 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 going to be in some potentially dangerous situations, you know, with weather and bears, right?
1: Yeah, that's the, the that's largely it. Is a lot of it is. On the drinking side of things, um, I don't know how well somebody holds their liquor. Uh, Some people, it could be one or two beers and they're different. Other people, I mean, they can hit it for hours and hours and hours and probably be just fine. So everybody has a different tolerance, everybody has a different reaction. I don't want to experiment with that in the field. Um, When it comes to the smoking, I mean, chewing tobacco, I got no problem with that. Smoking stuff, then I have to have separate tents and separate gear. For smokers and non-smokers, if a non-smoker comes on a hunt and I stick him in a tent that a smoker's lived in, I mean he's going to experience what I experienced: migraines, headaches, all your gear. I mean, it, it that smell is magnetic. I mean, it's worse than glitter at a little princess party. <laughs> yeah, it to everything. Yeah, and so I've just said, you know what? I'm just not going to deal with that. There's plenty of people out there that will take their money and let them smoke and drink all they want. It's not like I'm the only outfitter in the world, so this is what I do for work. I want to enjoy my job. I want to wake up in the morning and want to go to work for my clients. And you know, if I wake up with a migraine, I'm not going to work. Yeah. Um, and cigarette smoke will do that to me. So it's, it's a large matter of just personal preference and personal safety. I need people's judgment to
0: be the best it can be. And
1: I don't know how impaired it's going to be depending on what kind of alcohol they're, they've been ingesting.
0: Yeah that's right uh because really uh, a guided hunt outfitted hunt it's really a partnership between the hunter and the guide you know it's a team effort there and you need both people to be on their game so that makes sense to me yeah so uh you were saying you know like when people are praising you know jake uh, got me this big bear he knows what he's doing right like I'm a bear hunting guide here in Manitoba, not necessarily on the level that Alaska is just on baited black bear hunts here. So it's not as involved, but yeah, I can kind of relate with you on that. You know, people will sing your praises pretty easily if they have a, especially if they have a good hunt and they shoot a big bear, but how, how do you keep yourself grounded um, where you kind of keep, you know, reality in perspective?
1: Uh, Just have a bad year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that really is kind of a reality check for everybody's yeah. like, I thought I was hot stuff. And then all of a sudden you do everything exactly the same and the animals act totally different and you don't know what happened. Um, you know, we, we talked in, in the beginning here a little bit about religion and stuff and mm-hmm. my, <clears throat> my faith is such where I believe that I do what I do. I, I do what I think I need to be doing and God's going to provide the rest of it. Um, I don't control the animals. I, I don't, I can't predict. I, I don't have any of those, those powers. All I can do is take what I know about what it is that we're hunting, the timing, the conditions, and use that experience to try and put us in the best place possible. Um, and when people do shoot something, I've had guys shoot bears and they walk up to them and they go, Oh man, I've, I've been dreaming of this my whole life. I can check it off the list. And that always kind of, that always kind of hurt me a little bit. I was always like, "Whoa, slow down, check it off the list." Like that's all this is. And I, I take each animal, and then I, I apply that to that situation. I tell the guys, "Hey, this bear looks like it might be, you know, let's say 15 years old." I say, "Where were you 15 years ago?" And they're like, "Well, let's see, and, you know, and they try to think about it. You know, maybe prison, you know, maybe in the military, <laughs> yeah. maybe they're overseas. You know, who knows where they were?" I say, "15 years ago, this thing." Was born in the middle of the winter and came out the size of a hamster underground in 40 below weather. And for 15 years, the two of you have wandered the earth aimlessly. And then all of a sudden you meet up in the same spot at the same time. And you have a bear tag in your pocket and you think that's just coincidence. To me, that's a gift. Yeah. And when people don't view it that way, I kind of feel like, wow, uh, maybe we just wasted one like they don't understand the gravity of what's just happened um we we look at stuff we're like i killed it i harvested it whatever we took a life of some sort and i think it deserves something bigger than just hey we whacked one let's whack and stack brown it down i mean all the cliches we all Mm use but each bear is special And when I think about what it's done in those 15 years, I realize that I really had nothing to do with that. And being at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, I had something to do with that, but the success is largely, like you said earlier, it's a team thing. Um, I wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the client. If somebody wasn't paying me, I I wouldn't have the airplane to fly out there. I wouldn't have the tents, I wouldn't have the gear, I wouldn't have a job. so that keeps me grounded in knowing that I am in control of so, so very little. And we we made an attempt at something with the best information we had, and it worked. Yeah. And, and that's, that's ultimately what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love how you uh, explain that because it really is like, it's really crazy to actually comprehend when you think about this animal 15 years old. And you guys meet on that slope for the first time, and it ends with that animal's life being taken. Right? It there is a lot of responsibility that goes into there, and there needs to be some respect too. That is, I love yeah. that perspective and how you explained it. it. It was perfect, and I think it's people need to hear that in this day and age with social media and all the other uh, platforms, people can kind of brag and show off that it's like. Yeah, they did play a role in it. The guide played a role role in it for sure. But that animal played a huge role. That's the main character right there of the whole hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like that. So there you, you start Black River hunting camps. Did you, how did you gain your knowledge at such a young age? Okay, 19, that's pretty young to start hunting and, you know, you're being successful, like, do you feel that it was a sixth sense or did you have somebody that kind of taught you the, the movements of the animals? Was that through your high school education there when you were tracking bears? Was was, like, were you, you knowing to pay attention with the wind and, um, thermals, maybe all these tricks that new hunters don't necessarily know? Well, a lot of that came with, with, with each hunt,
1: you, you gained something. Um, and I'm very analytical with how I view things. Like, uh, an example would be like when I hunt mountain goats and you have goats out on a, on a mountain range, you, you tend to look at the goats and you focus on where the goats are. My mind is focusing on where the goats aren't, um, because everything has a place that it wants to go. If something goes wrong and you scare it, um, a bear is is going to go a certain direction a moose is going to go a certain direction a goat is going to go a certain direction they're going to they're going to go to where they feel safe because they've been scared from something um so when i'd go into a situation i look at and go this is where they are if something scared me what would i do i'm built to run on cliffs hypothetically i'm a goat let's Mm -hmm. say yeah i'm built to run on cliffs i need escape cover i need options so i'd look at well there's goats out on a finger look down the finger and there's the main body of the mountain that splits into five other little lakes, like a giant spider. Like, well, if we scare them, they're going to go right towards the body of the spider because it gives them more options. So we'll stalk them from that direction rather than give them the option to run that direction. So you come at them in the direction you think is going to provide, you know, a a different opportunity or one they don't expect. Yeah. Um, So taking, taking a look at something, you know, and then when you get a a grizzly in the tundra, Um, you look at the tundra and you think, you know, wind and the thermals, like what, what is hit the things that are going to alarm a bear the most, you know, his nose is his number one thing. How can we mitigate that? Uh, a sheep, theirs is their eyesight. How do we mitigate the eyesight? Their scent isn't that, you know, they're not that concerned about scent noise. They really don't care about. They hear rocks falling all the time. So their eyesight, how do we mitigate that? So each each animal that we were hunting, when I'd go into it, I would look at it from the perspective of it has defenses. How do I defeat those? And mm-hmm. then once I figure that out, then we'll start our approach to where I would say we would start an actual stock. Um, once you do an approach, which is what I would call getting closer, then you know conditions may change once you close the distance. Now you have to reevaluate. What, what changed? Well, hey, there's a ravine between us and there we didn't know existed five minutes ago.
2: Mm-hmm. Or,
1: you know, it's been raining and the river's too high to cross. Now what? Um, you know, so it's just a constant evolution of the situation and being able to look at each situation. And I still do it today, the same I did when I was 19. Yeah. Um, just now, I have more experience to apply to it. Well, in the last 20 times, this worked if I pushed this this didn't really, you know, Yeah. whereas back then it was just like, well, he can't smell us. So I think we're good, you know, and then let's find out. And you
0: just, you know, you, what, what do we say now? Just send it full time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's what they say. What you
2: gotta do is you gotta go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's always a time to kind of push the envelope, right? Like if you're seeing your opportunity there, you gotta, like you said, send it and uh, get after it. The, there was
1: an author here in Alaska named Chris Batten, and he used to do these advanced hunting techniques seminars. And I attended one when I was like 20. So I, I knew the guy and I thought, I'll go to a seminar and it was largely, you know, your fundamentals, but he said one thing that changed everything for me. And what he said was hunt like a predator because that's what you are. And man, he says, you know, if you spook something, go after it. He says, you know, a cheetah flushes something and then it just books it. And, you know, greyhounds, they'll run a rabbit and if they can't catch it in a straight line, they'll cut the corner.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Everything adapts to how it hunts as it's hunting. And he says, if you think like a predator and adapt while you're pursuing something, he says, things will happen for you. And I always like, you know, mm, I like that. So when I would get in a situation, I'm, I I am the dominant predator and I'm going to find a way to, to either establish it or prove it or go home hungry Mm. and so so we would yeah sometimes you push it sometimes you have to be the one that you're trying to kill something
0: yeah yeah i like um yeah exactly so looking through the website a bit uh yeah you guys offer grizzly brown bear mountain goats sitka doll sheep and black bear there's no moose on there is that by design or is it uh, because the areas that you kind of hunt don't hold a, a lot of moose, or are you doing that for your personal hunts? <clears throat> well, we're in a, kind of an evolution right now.
1: I've stopped doing sheep hunts for the time being because our last two winters have been hard, um, and our sheep numbers really took a dip. They were kind of in the toilet last time I was out. Um, and my mindset with my business is I'm not going to sell a hunt to somebody that I wouldn't want to do myself. and I wouldn't want to go hunt sheep in my sheep area right now. Um, so I've kind of stepped off the sheep for a while and moved over to a spot where I have some moose. Um, but with the clientele I have, I have enough guys that have wanted moose. I don't need to put it on the webpage. I can just send some emails out and say, Hey guys, I'm going to start doing moose this year. You know, let's give it a shot and see what happens. New area. Um, and I think I'm booked through 2025 on moose already. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know so I, I do them but yeah I don't need to update the webpage for for that. I have updated it for my baited bear hunts. So that's really something that I'm starting to push now. Um, I really enjoy I really enjoy bear baiting that's that's a lot of
0: fun. Okay, I saw a cool picture on there. And I think maybe it was on your website or your Facebook page but you had there was like a cut bank with uh, tree roots kind of showing and the barrels were hanging off that cut bank and so that the bears it appear it looked like they'd have to go up there and bat it around and try and get the the food that you had in there i'm like wow that's a pretty cool technique because like i said i do a lot of bear baiting out here so i'm always looking at new techniques but it seems it was just the right situation for there and you had either a brown bear or a grizzly that somebody had taken like right at that uh that barrel setup
1: yeah that was a uh, that was an eight four brown bear so with my baits, I try to always put my baits on a hill. Um, I run five or six different bait stations over 200 and something miles. Two are accessible by boat. Three or four are accessible with a plane. Um, and by putting my baits on a hill, I can put them higher. Because I do all ground stuff. I sit in the blind on the ground. Um And... We do most of our hunting at night from usually 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. We get 24 hours daylight yeah. um, in May, which is when we do our bear baiting. And the air is colder at night. So this is that analytical guy we just talked about a minute ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Colder air sinks. And so if I can put my bait three or four feet higher than my blind, when they're at the bait, they're not going to smell me in the blind. Um, so I always put my baits uphill of where I sit. Um, by putting them on a bank or a hill... They can't hide behind the tree, and they can't put my barrel behind the tree because a brown bear will move whatever you put out there. If he wants to move it, he'll move it. I mean, they'll rip the chain out of a metal 55-gallon drum. I think I lost two barrels this year that they tore off the chain. Um, And I get the same shot all the time. So a barrel come in that we don't want to shoot. I carry a little plastic bear. It's actually sitting right here beside me right now. A little plastic bear that I take the blind with me and when the bear is on the bait barrel I'll hold that bear up in front of my client and I'll point at that bear and say at this angle this is where we shoot mm-hmm. and then the barrel move and I'll turn that little plastic bear and I'll say okay see how that bear's sitting and I'll hold the plastic bear and show them this is where we shoot because um, you know on black bears it's like well you see that little spot go three inches left there's no spot Yeah, you're you're just like in that black spot right there behind the leg. I mean, there's no little marks that you can point to. So, I put them on a hill so that I get the same shots every time. And to this day, I have never had a shot bear go over the hill.
2: Oh, so that
1: that cuts my tracking area in half if one runs, because as you probably know, most wounded bears won't go uphill. That's right. Yeah. So I've just I've just cut my recovery area in half, which changes the ball game.
0: Yeah, big time. And so are you? I guess you're baiting brown bears. Was that just kind of? Was that bear taken on a black bear hunt, or was that intentionally going after brown bears over bait?
1: That was a brown bear over bait. I don't sell a black bear hunt by itself because of the costs involved to hunt a black bear over bait is I have the same amount of money invested if I'm hunting the brown bear over that bait,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and if I'm taking time out to do a black bear hunt, then I've lost time to do a brown bear. Hunt. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, dog food, I'm doing dog food, $26 a bag. Oh, it I adds up. Almost I, yeah, I went through almost 70 bags this year and then I have to put it in an airplane and fly it to that bait. Um, So I don't like feeding brown bears. I had one this year. He went through 250 pounds of dog food in three days by himself. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like, oh, Lee, we just need to shoot
0: it because I can't
1: afford to feed it. Yeah. Like
0: teenagers, you know. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I remember when Alaska allowed bear baiting and our Canadian dollar was on par with the American dollar at the time. And I think it was like seven to nine grand for a hunt. And I looked at my wife, I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm never going to be able to hunt brown bears as cheap as this. I'm like, I should really go. <laughs> I never did, you know, but guys were successful those first one or two years. And then, you know, like people started realizing, okay, you can be successful on a baited hunt for brown bears. So, yeah. Yeah, they're they're not like black bears at all.
1: Um, it's amazing the difference to have a bait that has both bears at it to be able to watch a black bear and a brown bear at the exact same time, working around a bait and see the differences in what they do. And the black bears, I mean, you get a black bear hitting your bait. Yeah. You're going to kill it. He'll be in every two hours, just about all day long. Um, and a brown bear, he's going to come in sometimes every other day for 10 minutes, sometimes every day for an hour, sometimes five times a day, sometimes once every two weeks. Mm. Um, and I've, I've had brown bears come walking out, walk right by the barrel and not eat anything and never come back ever. Yeah. Um, just, they're just so, they're just so different and that's what makes them so much fun to hunt. None of them are the
0: same. Yeah. So you sit with the clients, uh, there when you're doing your baited hunt? Yeah. Cause all
1: my baited hunts I do are for brown bear and they have to have a guide with them by law. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm on the ground in the blind with the clients. Every time that we're sitting on a bait.
0: Oh man, you're working. That's that's a lot of work, you know, big time. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like how how long are you? Well, I guess you said uh, basically 12 hours, right? Seven to seven. Yeah, usually we'll sit seven
1: to seven. If we're in an area uh, I do have baits that I can just sit in my boat. Um, so we'll sit on the bank of the river. I, I try to put my baits across the river because the river always creates a constant wind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always have a breeze between me and my bait that I know which direction it's going. Um, yeah. and it also creates noise so I can talk to the clients. You yeah. can sit in the blind and shoot breeze and stuff, which makes waiting not so monotonous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some, some days we'll sit, you know, you don't have anywhere else to go. We'll sit in the bait 24 hours a day. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, in the blind, I got big blinds. I got a cop pad in there, sleeping bag jet boil we can do all the food take naps you know take shifts watching out the window and stuff like that um yeah. so we don't go
0: insane yeah do you have any bow hunters that come out
1: uh this year i had my first bow hunter over bait um and uh they well we 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 hit five black bears with rocks because i didn't want to feed them and we didn't have a black bear tag which we were there for a brown bear um we chased one off of the airplane. We had one stick his head in the tent in the middle of the day. One ate our toilet paper. Oh, and man. Yeah. Four, four other ones we hit with rocks at less than thirty yards that came over to check us out. And then we had a we had a bait where we set it up. We could sit back a hundred yards and then we could stalk the bait. Yeah, uh, we made a route. We made a plan. We practiced it on black bears to see if we could get away with noise flies. Brown bear came in hopped up. We ran our little practice route. He stuck an arrow in at 40 yards. The bear ran four steps, tripped, stumbled, rolled, and was
0: dead in less than five seconds right in front of us. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that guy must have been ecstatic. Well, both of you were pro- probably, I'm sure.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, how often do you get to see him pile it up right in front of you? you know, yeah. I, I uh- shot one with my bow four weeks later. I couldn't get a client. I couldn't get anybody to come up and hunt. So I went out and sat the bait and did the same thing with my bow. At 1, one twenty in the morning, I almost couldn't even see the bear and he ran almost a hundred yards into the jungle and we found him with the airplane. We looked and looked on foot and couldn't find him, And I got in the plane and flew and we could see him land right there as soon as he flew. And that was how we found that one. And that was only 15 seconds of running.
0: Wow. So that's, it's, it's super thick there if, if you're needing like uh, the help of the airplane
1: yeah it was thick enough and he had gone through some water so and he wasn't bleeding he only dripped maybe six or eight drips of blood in the first 20 yards before he hit the little pond oh yeah that's difficult it was first week first week of july so it's all leafed up the grass is all in i mean it's just a brush jungle right behind that bait and of course that's where he went remember that escape cover they go where Mm -hmm. they're comfortable yeah and he went right straight into that and of course that's the only bait that I didn't have the option of putting it on a hill, but I put it in the open and he still got into a spot, but he died right in an opening that we can see from the air. Okay. Nice. Yeah. He was
0: right. He was right at, right at nine foot is what he was. Oh, wow. That that is such an exciting way uh, to hunt bears off of a bait, you know, to be back and then actually plan a route, like have the route already made, right. Cleared out so you can walk nice and quiet and get in there. That, that adds a, another element to it, you know?
1: Yeah, it gives you a, an interaction with them. And like if a bear comes in that you don't want to shoot, you can still go stalk them. Hey, let's go try it out. You know, let's run a test run. Let's, you know, let's go to full draw on a brown bear. And then you can say, I passed on one. Um, oh, you know, wow. So, yeah, that's So adventure. that that gives you a whole nother element. And you come up 30 yards, you come to full draw and you go, no, it's not what I'm looking for. And then you're like, all right, let's walk away without spooking it. And, you know, I mean, then, then you get that adrenaline rush without having to, to hit the release or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I got to work some overtime here for a couple years <laughs> to try that out. That would be amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. So, all right, where are we going here with the bears? That's right. On uh, the website, again, I noticed that you sometimes offer July hunts for brown bears. Uh, but the hides, I guess you said, weren't necessarily as good. Uh, that makes total sense. But are they feeding pretty heavy at that time of year on the salmon streams?
1: So the salmon, the bears hit the salmon, uh, usually it's later in July. Um, this year, the one of the most active weeks on my bait was the first week of July. So our brown bear season is open year-round in the areas I guide. One of the areas I guide has a two brown bear limit and a five black bear limit. Oh, wow. Um, so if somebody wanted to come up and just go crazy, like we could go crazy. Like we could put some hides in the salt. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah like it'd be, It would be a little wild. And, you know, some trips we could do it. We could tag all of them out if, if the baits are happening and the weather's working for us. But um, we, we'll do it in July, and I, I'll oftentimes just reduce the price on stuff because the hides aren't as good. But there are guys that they can afford to go on a hunt but they can't afford a mount They can't afford a rug. And they're just like, I just want to do a European mount with a skull. Like that would, that would just tickle them pink. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hide quality doesn't matter so much or, or you'll get into the realm of like a school teacher. They can't take may off yeah. and they can't come up in the fall. Summer is the only time they have off to do something. Um, so you'll, there's, there's a, a niche for people that want to do that. So <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to have the glorious hide of a nice, you know, October bear or anything like that. Um, but you're going to have all of the same experiences, all of the same excitement. You know, everything else is exactly the same.
0: And it can be like some of the best hunting by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it can be it can be good. Um, you know, we go hot and heavy all through June. Jan- uh, June is the best month over the bait for us. Um, I had one of my trail cam pictures had 97 degrees at one of my bait barrels this year. Wow. <clears throat> so we can have some intense heat, yeah. but again, you're sit, you're sitting at night and then it gets comfortable and then stuff starts happening, you know, things get active. And then it's that way, like say all the way into about the first week of July. But one of the reasons I think the first week of July is so good is because stuff is coming out of the mountains, heading down to the salmon streams. So you're mm-hmm. getting a lot of bears that are traveling to get to their traditional feeding places for this for late summer and fall.
0: Yeah. 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 So that's uh yeah, that would be a a good hunt, like the July hunt for sure, like you said, for school teachers and anyone else that wants to kind of experience that at that time of year. Yeah. So, like- yeah, like Canadian
1: ahead. bear baiters that don't have anything going in July,
0: exactly no guys like that. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's there, there will be a few that hear this and uh, their interest will be peaked. Well, mine is that that's a good way of doing it, you know, like if you don't really want to get a mount done because not everyone wants to afford that or have that in their house, right? But I guess you could get the hide tanned, yeah. eh? The hide uh, being tanned would still be somewhat okay, I guess a bit patchy maybe, but. Still. Yeah, it,
1: it all depends. They're all different. I mean, yeah, you get a tan, throw it on the couch, you know, if the dog lays on it. No big deal. Now, yeah. The wife probably is not going to want to lay on it for your anniversary, but <laughs> no, you know, that's no. not going to
0: happen. Yeah. 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 So how are the mountain goat hunts? Like I just talked to a guy the other day who's done some mountain goat hunting and yeah, it's kind of piqued my interest. So I'm sure somebody here is probably thinking about a mountain goat hunt.
1: I did my goats on Kodiak Island, and th- this will kind of come into play with some of the, the outfitter differences between Canada and Alaska. Um, I was on a state land for my goat hunts, and the draw odds where I'm at were fairly decent. I think they were in the team. Um Kodiak Island has arguably the best goat hunting in the world. Um, I haven't hunted goats in the world. Um, I've hunted them in four or five different ranges in Alaska basically all the ranges that have goats and kodiak is phenomenal um good weather days 50 to 70 goats a day yeah mountains that aren't even over 2500 feet tall Billy's hit nine inches in three years um i mean they grow at just astronomical rate and big body goats the climate is wet so their hair is usually good almost all season unlike like a hot dry place where they get that nice short, you know, sheared, sheared goat look hair. Mm-hmm. And so I was putting guys in for the draw. We never had a goat hunt that went over three days. Um we'd go up, spend the night, shoot a goat, spend the night, hike out. That was pretty much how it went. Um, thanks, I think, largely to social media, um, the draw odds have now gone into the toilet, and they're less than 2%, 3% for the areas I'm at. Oh, wow. Um, so we're getting outfitters now that are putting in 50 to 80 clients that so we'll have an area, for example, that has an allocation of 10 tags. I will put 10 guys in there's 10 tags. I'll put 10 guys in. Um, but then another outfitter, he'll put 50 to 80 guys in because there's only 10 tags. If he gets all 10, good for him. He'll hire somebody to help him out. Yeah. And that has hampered everybody else's chance at the draw. Um, so, I don't really take people to put them in the draw anymore just because, just because the odds are so low, it's not something that I can plan on from a
0: business perspective. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So how heavy do those goats get? Like when you were doing those hunts, like how many pounds would they be? <clears throat> you know, I've,
1: I've never carried a scale, but everybody in the low for you asked me what everything weighs. Um, yeah. I I, I I would say a big Billy is probably pushing 350
0: oh wow yeah that's a big animal
1: yeah i mean they're uh well i can tell you this because i have weighed this a life-size hide off a nine and a half inch billy will go pushing 50 pounds fleshed out Mm -hmm. with no hooves um boned out meat on a nine nine and a half inch billy will ring in right at a hundred pounds if you don't have a lot of meat damage
2: yeah
1: so that's 150 with just meat in the hide yeah yeah
0: Okay. Yeah. So I guess your bread and butter is the the brown bear hunts, the grizzly hunts. Um, Are you doing any Sitka blacktail nowadays?
1: Or? My favorite hunt. My oh, yeah. favorite hunt of all time ever is Sitka blacktail deer on Kodiak.
0: Yeah. So there's, is there a lot of action typically? Like I know a few guys that have done it, you know, over the years and it sometimes it seems like that area can get hit hard, like with winter kill, but then it rebounds really quick as well.
1: Yeah, the deer bounced back pretty fast. And I started on Kodiak. My, my first time I ever guided was Kodiak. So 90, 98, I don't remember ninety-eight, somewhere in there. I, I started on Kodiak, and, and it, deer were like by the hundreds. Um, then we had a winter die-off that I figure took eighty percent of the herd. Um, and it, it fluctuates back and forth now all the time. Um, I do all two-on-one hunts. I do them in November and we i've had one guy in 15 years i think that hasn't shot both of his deer um so it's a high success hunt you uh, it's pretty laid back because the success is high but it's a spot and stalk hunt so we can sit on a hill and glass a buck and go after them mm-hmm. um, which is which is fun you know it's, it's an active you're you're doing things um and then, of course, you get to see a bear. You know, ooh, there's a brown bear. <laughs> yeah, excited. yeah. And, uh, you know, we got foxes and ducks. And um, you have a lot of tent time because you have more darkness in that time of year. Um, and that's part of the reasons I do two-on-ones is because now we have three people in camp. And usually it's two people, two clients that want to be together, husband, wife, buddies, brothers, father, son. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and tent time, camp time with buddies on a hunt is fun. Yeah, Um, you know, you know how it is. Oh, absolutely! The camaraderie of a camp is fun.
0: Yeah. So, do you have? Do you stay in the tent with the guys, or do you have your own tent that you stay in?
1: Uh, Usually, uh, depends what tent I have. Uh, Last year, uh, my big one got torn in half by a big windstorm that came through. But um, sometimes I'll stay in my own tent. Sometimes I'll stay in the tent with the guys, which most of them prefer that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they like to get tucked into bed and then they like, short- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've had guys, I, I, I make dinner. We do all homestyle meals, so I'll like fry burritos and make chimichangas and like all that kind of stuff. Oh, and nice. Eat, like real food. And I'll, I'll feed these guys and get them fat and bloated and coffee'd up and tuck them in their sleeping bags and they just roll over and just be like, all right, man. Tell us about, you know, and then they want hunting stories. They want Alaska stories. They want plane crash stories and bear charge. you know, yeah. they, that's, they're not just there to hunt. They're there for an experience. And if you can give them that, then they just love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's uh part of the whole trip, the whole experience. Like you said, um, I'm going to ask for one of those stories, but I'm going to ask you a question first because I am a diehard bow hunter you take many bow guys, archery guys, up uh, for Sitka, on Kodiak. Uh,
1: I don't take many bow guys. I don't turn bow guys away. Um, I, I bow hunt myself. You know, I've shot a bow since I was a wee lad, mm-hmm. um, and I've shot I've shot one my whole life, so I'm familiar with it. I understand it and all that kind of stuff. I have only ever had one bow hunter kill an animal. That was the bear this year. I have had a lot of bow hunters shoot animals wound and lose i had a black tail guy on kodiak hard in away, shot caught him in the rear kneecap um we tracked that deer we've seen him a handful of times so i could tell where he was hit um he was trying to fill his his slam and that was the last deer he needed you know so he doesn't want a bullet in it mm-hmm. and we tracked that thing for about 30 minutes And then I told the client we're done because we are now not the only thing tracking this year. Yeah. And whatever is coming behind us, we'll think that we have it. Yeah. So I said, you know, we're, we're done with this. And, uh, he passed up a few, he passed up one at 16 yards because he didn't like the shot angle. Um, so when they're, when they're rutting, sometimes we can call them in. Um, sometimes we can work it to where we can get a pretty good shot on one.
0: Yeah. Do any of the guys wear those, like I've seen those hats on the internet, like that kind of look like a, I guess a deer's head, you know, like with the ears and that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> do you I have... haven't had anybody wear one of those yet. I've wore those for mountain goat. Like I've taken a white stocking cap and drew goat horns on it with a Sharpie. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I like and, it.
1: And it works.
0: Yeah. So. so why do you think the bow hunters are having such a difficult time with uh, finishing the job
1: oh there's a political question i'm going to offend somebody i'm sure um <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i th- i think the situations that my archery guys have been in are not situations they can rehearse um i had a guy with a brown bear at three yards and the bear got her sent and bolted and he took a shot at like 10 yards maybe and just shot low um, moving animal, close distance, brown bear anticipation, jacked up through the roof. Um, I had another guy on a brown bear on the Alaska peninsula at 19 yards and he hit him way high, right in the base of the spine. Um, didn't spine him. The bear took off and I got a bullet in it at about 15 feet as it ran next to us. And I asked him, where were you aiming? And he said, all I remember is I had all my pins on the bear. And so his 20-yard pin and his 50-yard pin were on the bear at 19 yards. And actually, his 20-yard pin is through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a guy that is used to sitting in a stand, watching an animal come to him, and then waiting for the animal to turn and give him the shot, and then drawing his bow when the animal's not looking. You know, he's he's used to going through this step-by-step with an animal that isn't going to hurt you from an elevated position. Um, and then you put him on the ground on a salmon stream with a brown bear, and expect him to be able to take the same kind of a shot that he would from a tree on a deer, not realistic, I don't think. Yes. Yeah, so, um, okay, go ahead. So, so I just I just think the situations that they're in, you know, let's hump this hill real fast. There he is here he comes, take a shot. Um, mm-hmm. They're just not rehearsable situations. Some guys, this is what they do for elk. This is what they do for muleys. They're used to that they can make those shots and most of what i'm talking about has been at least 10 years ago and i think bow hunting as a whole has really kind of blown up and gotten more i don't know if the word athletic you know is the word i would use but maybe um you know what cameron haynes has done for archery stuff and the, the the persona that he's kind of pushed i think is kind of him and others have created a little bit different kind of bow hunter than what we used to see 15 or 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They, they like to call themselves athletes these days, but you're right. It's not really the right word for it, but I guess, uh, they can pretend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. CrossFit bow hunter. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're doing, uh, but yeah, I was just thinking, you know, like the guys who, because I've elk hunted a bit, you know, I've stocked some white tails here and there uh moose hunted here in manitoba as well and things can happen somewhat quick and you have to be quick on the draw you know like if he moves a couple steps uh so somebody if they were to try and prepare replicate it somewhat they should probably get out there and stalk a couple white tails and or go elk hunting and kind of get in that uh environment a changing environment a quickly changing environment Oh yeah, I actually wanted you to tell me a bedtime story because it's close to my bedtime here. So what you got? A yeah. Bedtime story.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, so years ago, uh, I was packing out a sheep with my late wife. Uh, she passed away four years ago. She was with me and a client on a sheep hunt. We're packing a sheep out and we see a wolverine in a field and... There's a bull moose walking through the field towards the wolverine. And we thought, well, this will be fun. Let's watch a little National Geographic right here in front of us, you know. Moose comes through the field. The wolverine tears off after the moose. It turns out the wolverine is a grizzly bear. (laughs) It's black and white and got these weird colors, and it's small. We nicknamed him Oreo because of his black and white. He looked kind of like a panda bear. I've never seen a bear with these colorations before or since. And we thought, well, that was cool. Uh, The next year, I saw Oreo on the same ridge again. Like, wow, like, you know, that's cool. That's Oreo, you know. Yeah. The third year, I was out with a moose hunter. And the first thing we see through the fog is Oreo. And he Mm -hmm. has a bear tag. This is the first opportunity I've had to try and get this bear. And we go after him, he disappears. next morning, we go out. Find him again up in the tundra. He disappears again. And then he comes back out and I pack her with him. He goes, hey, there's a wolf. And I'm like, that's not a wolf. That's Oreo. Like, that was how weird he looked. Yeah. And the client grabs his rifle and I said, hold on a second. And he cranks off a shot and shoots Oreo right in the throat. Um, Oreo books it for the brush. Escape cover. We talked about that. Yeah. And he's in the brush and he's growling and he's gurgling and he's pissed off. And I'm like, Oh, great. Cause it's first week of September. So the leaves are still on it's super thick and he's still very, very mobile and very, very active. It's not like he's been hit and I'm going to let him stiffen up. You can hear him. Mm-hmm. So I circled around to get the wind to blow into the brush. So hopefully he'll smell me and come out at me and he doesn't do it. So I'm about 50 yards from my client and the Packers that we had with us. They're a little bit elevated. And I told the guy, I said, just shoot. At the noise, and let's see what happens because we have no, there's no sticks to throw on the tundra. There's no rocks to <laughs> yeah. throw and they, oh, I can throw blueberries at him, but I didn't do anything. Yeah. And uh, so I told him, I said, just run around in there, right where we think he's at, and let's see what happens. And he must have been really close because Oreo came out of there doing about a hundred mile an hour. Oh boy! And he ran directly between us, and but he's down lower in the low part of the draw, and I was shooting a 338 at the time. And he comes out, and I'm just hammering on him. He's only about 40 yards in the open to me. They couldn't see him, but I could see him. So I put four rounds in him, and I'm reloading, and he spins around and starts running the other direction. And he sees the client and the packer, and he just downshifts and just he's headed straight at him. And he's in a low run, um, you know, a full-on charge through yeah. the brush at these guys. And I can hear them yelling, but I don't know what they're saying. And I shot again and I broke both front shoulders and he goes down. I thought, Hey, there we got him, broke his legs. And he does one somersault and comes up with both legs broken, his elbows tucked into his rib and he's still going hundred miles an hour <laughs> straight at these guys. Yeah. And he's getting he's getting close and I'm like, We 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 this is this is gonna be a mess. Like we're seconds away from a mess. Yeah. And my next my next bullet took him right in the side of the skull. And he dropped 30 feet from the client oh boy and we get up there and i get to the bear i check it he's dead and the client comes up and he's reaching down to touch oreo because he's heard about oreo before he even saw him he's reaching down to run his fingers through his fur and his hand his hand is just shaking mm-hmm. and i'm like what do you think and he says that that was the coolest thing i've
0: ever seen that's what he said well, I can't say I blame him, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> he, he got his money's worth right there. That guy, like, wow. Oh, no,
1: he did. Oreo was a life-size mount that now lives in Texas. So, oh yeah. Uh, wow. It, it was, he, he went out very memorably.
0: Yeah. Talk about the pucker factor there. Did that, did that bear get uh, any bigger from the first time you saw him? Like in those three years?
1: yeah most of the grids out there they square about seven foot four, which is how we measure stuff. We don't weigh anything. yeah, the first time we saw him, he was probably just he's probably only maybe a three or four year old and he might have looked smaller because he was next to a moose mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he grew every year every year he got a little bit bigger, but they figured he was probably seven or eight years old, and we shot him was ballparkish, so yeah, um you know. About there. Yeah, kind of an average size bear.
0: Yeah, that's cool. We squared the bears out here too in Manitoba. I really like that measurement. It seems to to work really nicely.
1: Yeah, if you do it yourself all the time, you get a consistency with it. And it's easier to explain to people when you're the one doing it all the time because it makes sense.
0: Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah, exactly. Guys, kind of look at you when we say, "Oh, that's a that's a six foot eight bear," you know, and they're like, "What what does that even mean?" <laughs> but it's like, well, you know, it's the nose to tail, like when they're skinned, right? Nose to tail, and I guess over the back, like middle claw to middle claw. That's how you guys do it, as yeah, well.
1: Claw, yeah, yeah, Wing, wingspan, claw tip, claw tip, nose to yeah. tail, add together, divide by two. Yeah, that's um, right. An old an old guide trick from years ago. Most lodges down on the Alaska Peninsula in a lot of places, that the master guy that runs the place, he's the official tape measure. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lodge that was averaging really good-sized bears for a lot of years, but the skulls weren't quite reflecting the size bears. And every now and then you'll get an area that has a little bit different genetics, and that happens. Yeah. Um, and somebody figured out he was using the old Stanley tape measure, the metal ones he had taken out the six to seven foot section and then soldered it back together. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Everyone was shooting giant bears out there. (laughs) Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good. Repeat business guaranteed nine footers no matter what every time.
0: Yeah, that's right. So uh, a thing that I've talked about here, just with buddies bear hunting, because we, we don't really know grizzlies at all. What, what do they kind of square? Like what's a good squared grizzly bear?
1: Well, you have grizzly and browns. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alaska fishing game recognizes them all as brown bears. There's no such thing as a grizzly bear to them. Grizzly bear is only recognized by the record book keepers. Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young, I believe, use the same boundary lines for their definition of brown and grizzly. Safari Club International goes by game units. So I'll have an area where you can shoot an inland grizzly, according to SCI, but according to Boona Crockett, it's a brown bear, even though we're 200 miles from the ocean, and mm-hmm. that bear might never see a salmon its whole life. Yeah. <clears throat> so depending on, but I tell guys, if we're in the mountains and we're hunting what I would call a grizzly bear, uh, you know, a tundra bear kind of a thing, so to speak, that isn't salmon protein influenced, um, seven to eight foot squared is going to be a good bear. Most of them are going to average around a 21, 22 inch skull um, you will get bigger obviously like anything else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that would be kind of your typical, what I would say grizzly bear would be, um, some of the brown bear areas, anything over nine foot is considered usually a good bear. Anything over 10 foot is great bear. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, but when you're dealing it, you know, you say nine and 10 foot, eight foot, nine foot, all that. A nine foot bear is usually at least twice the body mass of a seven foot bear,
2: yeah, and a ten
1: foot bear is usually twice the body mass of an eight foot bear, wow, so it's not just two feet, yeah, know, it's you know an yeah. eight foot bear might be six hundred pounds roughly give or take, and then your ten foot bear you know he he could be over a thousand
0: yeah so yeah there's it's a lot bigger difference, like you said. Yeah, it's a much yeah, more not impressive state measure difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, would the grizzly bear be uh, I've heard that they're more ornery or they're just more temperamental than the the brown bear, like the coastal bears. Is that accurate? They behave differently, there's no doubt about
1: that. Um, I would say skittish. Um, more skittish than brown bears. Brown bears are usually intentionally sneaky. Sometimes you'll see one and he'll look at you and back up until he's in the brush and then run. Um, sometimes they'll just kind of drift sideways and pretend they don't see you until they're in the brush and then run. Um, a grizzly, he just craps his pants and runs like crazy. Um, <laughs> like they're, you spook a grizzly and just look at the skyline cause you'll see him go over it in a few more minutes. Yeah. Um, and they, they just go and go and go. Um, when they get to the point where they get cranky, <clears throat> I think th- I've I've had I've had more issues with black bears than I have with brown bears getting cranky. Um, but usually a, a grizzly or a brown gets cranky. They can usually be talked out of whatever it is they're upset about. Um, it's it's uh, a lot of what they do is show. Um, oh, if they if they come in on a charge or if they get upset with you and their ears are up and they're upright then they're just they're just making a show yeah. saying, i'm just pissed at you and then if you if you kind of give them a little show back they'll back right down oh, okay um if they come in low and their ears tucked they're they're not this isn't show. this is velocity <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're they're coming at you and i usually choose to not find out from that point forward yeah um what intentions are i try to react immediately with something so if something doesn't work that i don't have to shoot them because i don't want to do that yeah um but black bears are the ones that i've i've had to shoot i had to shoot a big one of those ones that wouldn't back down i shot him at a foot and a half
0: oh wow he was, it, was he running or he, was he running towards you charging <clears throat> no he was just walking
1: and he wouldn't stop um and I shot him in the face at a foot and a half. He was a he squared eight foot, one of the biggest black bears. Oh, I that can. is a giant was, black bear. Yeah, he was on the he was on the porch of the cabin, and I think he was looking for girls and anything moving. He was going
0: to investigate and have his way with it. Just yeah, to find out. I don't
1: I don't play that way.
0: No, <laughs> no, no. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you made the right decision there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with that that answer. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so that's I was going to ask you that, too, about the size of black bears, but I guess you just kind of answered that. Like, that's an exceptionally large bear. I've seen a couple guys, clients shoot 8-foot squared bears, but not many. So do they, is yeah, like a 7-footer, considered is, a trophy out there, like a big one? Yeah, anything over 7-foot is a great black bear.
1: Um, we, we shot, I think we shot, well, all those ones we were hitting with rocks at the bait this year, I went back with my kids and shot all those. Um, they're in the freezer now, but, um, uh, three of those were over seven foot. Oh wow. And the other ones were probably, probably high sixes. I didn't actually put a tape on some of them, but two of them we shot in one night were both over seven foot. One had zero teeth. I've never seen a bear with teeth like that before. They were actually into his gums on all of them.
0: How old? Anion, do, molar, yeah. everything. How old do you think that bear was like <clears throat> over 20 years old or?
1: Uh, You know, I'm going to call a fishing game next year after they get the aging done on the teeth because we do have to seal those bears. But I, I,
0: unless he just
1: liked eating sand, yeah. I would say, yeah, he was probably in his 20s. I've, shoot, I've shot brown bears with better teeth that were in their 20s. Um, but even fishing game, when they sealed them, they were surprised. They said, we've never seen a black bear with teeth like this. Yeah, that's oh. wild. I mean, even the hair on his forehead was gray. So I kind of I felt him a little bit. Like, Aw,
2: yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, you know. So yeah, did you um, feel his but, paws at all? Like the c- consistency of his paws—were they like real leathery, like or? Uh, ours are all the, the the pads and
1: stuff are all pretty much the same. I've never felt one that was any different. Mm-hmm. Um, he he did have gray hair between his toes on his feet too, which
2: was yeah. different.
1: I've never seen that before, and one. You're gonna have to text me your phone number. I'll send you some pictures in one testicle that was twice the size of the other one. (laughs) Um, That's wild. And I was like, well, that's why he kept coming in circles.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was lopsided.
1: (laughs) He keeps coming back. Yeah, he's a NASCAR bear. Yeah, Um, but yeah, he was a little different. But at our baits, it is very rare that we get a sow. Um. Uh, almost all of the bears that come into our baits are boars.
0: Well, That's convenient. That's really nice.
1: I use a lot of, uh, I have, there's a company here in Alaska that makes some baiting products and I use her stuff exclusively and she has some sow and heat stuff and we call it's called stripper glitter is mm-hmm. what we call it. Yeah. Um, and I use a lot of those kind of scents at my baits and, If I do get a sow, it's usually with a boar when it comes in.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess you're hunting the rut predominantly then.
1: Yeah, except bears don't rut. But yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Or, okay, what do you mean by that? I want to hear that. uh, So, uh, bears, I used to write for Bear Hunting
1: Magazine. I did a lot of research articles dealing with biologists and stuff here in Alaska, which probably stemmed from my trapping bears and my interest with them. And... I asked the biologist some of these things that you hear about, you know, bears come out of the den, they have a plug, they have to eat some grass, the magic grass, get the plug out.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's, that's, they don't do that. They they just eat whatever. There's no plug. They don't do that because their digestive tract doesn't actually work when they're up. Um, And I asked them about bear rut activity and bears are what's called an induced ovulator. So a sow becomes receptive to breed if she doesn't have any offspring. Mm -hmm. Once the boar mounts her and is breeding her, that is what stimulates her ovulation. Um, which is why a bear, you know, I've seen bears on top of each other for pushing an hour multiple times in a day. Um, you know, whereas your deer or your moose, I mean, they're one and done onto the next cow because they're already ovulating and ready. Um, so once he's breeding the sow, then she ovulates and then that's how she can breathe so they can do that whenever she doesn't have offspring which accounts for a lot of the variations in sizes of cubs that you'll see in a spring mm-hmm. um a lot of times I'll see one-year-old cubs or like or new cubs I'm like oh they look like stinking kittens you know I mean, yeah. look at those little things and then the next ones are three times the size yeah and you know the little ones the biologist told me he says I've seen Boars mounted up on fowls in October. Wow. I would have never. They can mount up any time. The reason spring is the biggest influx is because there's not a lot to eat. So it's really basically all they have to do. And their bodies are (laughs) regenerating and they're ready to put something in there, fatten it up and then hold it for the winter when it, when the gestation period works out. Um, So yeah, so they can they can breed whenever they want. So technically, they don't actually have a rut. They yeah. just have an ovulation once they breed the receptor.
0: So there's um, just a more common breeding period, I guess. Like the breeding period can start once they're from out of hibernation to just before they go into hibernation. Is, am I understanding yeah, that well, correctly?
1: The, the majority of it would be May and June up here seems to be the majority of it. Yeah. I've seen it happen into July and I've seen it happening the second week of April. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a four month time frame in itself right there. And you're like, What well, what's your, what's your moose rut? Two weeks? Yeah, Two weeks? I guess so. Yeah. 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 I mean, your, your ungulates, you know, your deer, everything's got this little like, Oh man, I hope I hit the rut this year. You know, everybody's all, Oh, I hope it ruts at the right time, you know, cause it's a small window Yeah, compared to what a bear can do. Um, but they say largely for those who believe in evolution that if bears had a rut, we would have almost no cubs because a boar can't cover that much ground to service a nomadic animal like a sow. Mm. Um, moose, deer, you know, they'll herd up, they're closer together, they can breed multiple cows in 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, if a boar needed to breed 20 sows, depending on your bear population and your density, how many miles is he going to have to cover to do that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, I had a client this year, you know, uh, I kind of knew that the rut was, I guess, air quotes, rut. Like, wasn't really the traditional rut, like a whitetail rut. Uh, Because you don't see, well, I've never observed really boars, you know, traveling and leaving the sign you know like a a whitetail right or or even a moose for that matter but it's like okay so it's somewhere end of may here in manitoba you start seeing end of may and then into june right towards the end of the season um like breeding i guess kind of behavior but i had one guy he's like so uh yeah the rut like is the post rut happening right now i'm like no, no, I don't, I don't think it happens that way, you know, yeah. I, I, but I'm glad, I'm glad you talked about it because yeah, you're just kind of confirming that I didn't quite know exactly, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty neat to hear. Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, it's just been over an hour. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I know there's probably, well, I know there is way more stories than what you shared. Uh, maybe one day again, you can come on if you want to share some, just, uh, share some bedtime stories with everyone again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I love doing that. And uh, like I say, I've, I've had some amazing opportunities to do things that i never dreamed I would have a chance to do. And the only reason they were possible was because other people out there saved their money and decided to book a hunt with me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, anything I can pay forward to the people that have made my life possible. I mean, it's, 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 it's an opportunity you can't pass up. Yeah, I'm super thankful for for the gifts I've been given.
0: Absolutely, you know, that's awesome. Like uh, just being thankful as well. That uh, goes a long ways, you know, because you're being a genuine, legit dude for sure. Uh, there were other things I wanted to get into, like how you got into flying, but maybe I'll save that for another day um, over there. But yeah, where can people find you? Like if they wanna chat hunting with you like what your hunts are and all that if they want to go more in depth and get more information
1: uh black river com is my website that's got all my contact information there um like say i do everything myself so if somebody sends me a text or an email and you don't hear back for like four or five days chances are i'm working
2: <laughs> yeah
1: um and I try to get back to everybody as quick as I can. If somebody leaves a, a message on my phone, I'll shoot them a text, say, hey, I got your message, give me a couple days, um, just to try and touch base with people so they know, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, just give me time and be patient with me. Um, but I'm usually pretty johnny on the spot. Facebook, I'm on Facebook, Blackbird Running Camps, LLCs on Facebook. Um, so, But, yeah, text is usually the best way to get a hold of me. Um, like they, with all my kids and stuff, it's easy to shoot a text off in between somebody screaming at me about what they want for food. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, blue water in their ear or whatever it is yeah. deal with, you know,
0: so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, exactly. And I'm guessing you're going to be starting up right away here in, in <sighs> August, and then you're going to be busy right to middle of October or no, into November actually with the, the deer hunts.
1: Yeah, I'll be going into November. I'm actually supposed to be on a hunt right now, but the guys, uh canceled it was a last minute deal so i go back out the 20th up into the tundra for bear and i'll do some moose in september and take a couple of weeks off in october it's kind of our seasonal transition and then yeah. down the kodiak i got a, a guy with a bear tag for him and his boy and deer tags a little bit out there
0: and catch the bear opener and shoot some deer so sounds like yeah, fun we'll man yeah all I right hope. all right jake i really appreciate appreciate it and uh Thanks for, you know, the bedtime story there and good luck this season.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Drop me a note anytime there's anything I can do to help out. I appreciate it, man.
0: Okay, man. Have a good night. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye.